Sessions. I'm Mike Chanel. I'm Davin Mullen. And our guest today is Caroline West. Caroline, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Caroline is a music therapist. And Caroline, for the, those at, um, at home that aren't familiar with uh, music therapy, can you give them kind of the gist of it? Yes. So music therapy is essentially the practice. It's an evidence-based practice, document-based, that where we use music within a a therapeutic relationship with a credentialed professional in order to address non-musical goals. A musical goal would be like learning to play an instrument or something that, you know, a music teacher might teach. And a non-musical goal would be something like improving your ability to speak verbally, improving improving your range of motion, improving your ability to express your emotions, to self-regulate, and et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes it can include learning an instrument, but that would be for other emotional purposes or other behavior or motor purposes. So it's really the use of music to achieve non-musical goals within a, a therapeutic relationship by a credentialed professional. That's pretty cool. Now, how does that work? Do you, you know, what what part of playing music and working with the students on a musical level, um, you know, allows you to achieve those non-musical goals? So it's, it's really, it all goes back to the fact that music just targets every single area, essentially almost every single area of the brain at once. And that gives us as therapists a lot of freeway because if you think about it, there's really one area of the brain that is directed for speech and one that is directed for motor skills. And so if someone is having difficulty in those areas and you are only using that area of the brain to work on that skill, it would make it much harder or it could make it much harder for the client to achieve their success. But if we're able to use all of the different areas at once, including the healthy untouched areas, then we're, and it's through a medium that the client is passionate about mm. and really feels a connection with. We're able to take that innate connection as well as those other targeted areas and really use it to be able to achieve those results. That's got to be a really great element to have to actually be able to tap into, you know, the client's passion to really make it more than just like, oh, man, I have to go and talk about my feelings today. Like actually to have something that, you know, further motivates them. Yes. Yes. It's really incredible. I I love my job so much. <laughs> I feel so lucky to be able to do this. <laughs> by, by the same token, of course, though, it is a, a bit of a parameter, though, in a clinical setting. It, it doesn't sound like it's a sort of generalized, uh, one-size-fits-all approach. Definitely not. Every single case, every single demographic that you work in is completely different. So as a music therapist, you have to be trained to work in all settings and really be able to effectively address patients of all different needs with all different musical tastes too. So you've really got to be quite flexible and versatile. Speaking of that, I'm I'm sure approaching music through the lens of, as you said, an empirically scientific, you know, clinical psychology, basically, 
Um, it probably brushes up against the more amorphous and enigmatic facts about music uh, mm -hmm. because very often in music we try to embody and translate things that we can't precisely know or describe into something that we you know create an association with yes do, do you find that engaging in music from those two differing approaches that it is more they work against you is it like a water and oil situation or is it more synergistic I feel like it's pretty, I feel like it's pretty synergistic. A lot of times, like, uh, it, a lot of times people really just can feel validated just by hearing something that really sounds like what's going on in their mind. And, um, and it just, it can, and that itself can be very cathartic for individuals. So I really feel like those two areas work together. I wonder if it gives you like the cheat codes too. It's like I know I know the neurology behind this. I can control your brain. Exactly. <laughs> Sometimes when you know people are feeling angry, I'll play a fully diminished chord and really fast. <laughs> yeah. All right, kids. Today we're gonna talk about gent. How it's gonna make you feel less upset. <laughs> Got it. Starts ruffling your hair. <laughs> So a lot, a lot of times what I'll do, especially for emotions, is I'll play two different sounds, two very different sounds with purposeful different musical elements. Like I'll do a minor sound. And if we're, you know, say I'm trying to promote the child to be able to understand the feeling of happiness, I will, I'll play something really slow and minor and say, oh, do you think this sounds happy? Or then I'll play another juxtaposing chord progression that's major and like, you know, fast, upbeat and say, or do you think this one sounds happy? And it's a different way for them to be able to identify those emotions. And, which, you know, which I'm sure broadens communication skills and, and, and serves that, that non-musical goal. And exactly. Something. You've got something, the lingo. Yeah. <laughs> something something I'm curious about. Um, psychology itself is a fairly, as far as hard sciences go, uh, a pretty young field, really. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, certainly a post-enlightenment uh, yes. area of study. Um, and, and music therapy, even in, in that context, is relatively recent, in the, in the last several decades, right? Uh, yes. So what's... What was sort of the, the tipping point, you think, where clinicians started looking at sort of, you know, kind of lateral thinking a little bit, taking a non-direct approach to directly address problems? or Well, not, not problems, but uh, attempt to goals or, or, you know, produce outcomes. Yeah. So it all really started after World War II. And during, then it was when the, the veterans were in the hospital that, that some doctors would have musicians come in and play music for the patients. But the doctors being very uh, attuned, no pun intended, to the patient's responses, they noticed that how powerfully their patients were responding to the music. And they, were, they decided, you know, these musicians really need clinical training. And that was really the genesis of music therapy, 
And so, you know, they're definitely very recent, especially after World War II is not, relatively speaking, that long ago. Uh, but that is really where it all started with those, those doctors saying, you know, this is really great, but the people who are administering this cannot just be off the streets. They've got to really. I could go busking and then like get picked up by like a hospital the next day. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, some hospitals would like to do that, but that's a whole other. Thing. <laughs> so that's a whole other topic to get into talking about. <laughs> that is that is rather remarkable, though, in a in a time where uh, just contemporaneously, if if it's after World War II, where you're not too far away from a time where PTSD really was more of a stigmatized or uh, portrayed and talked about more as like a character weakness rather than, uh, you know, a, a symptom of psychological duress. Yes, that's a very good point, yeah. Do you think that, do you think that says something broader about uh, music just, just as a, a way of engagement? with things that that it could sort of pierce through that that cultural veil and be seen as being a method of healing i think definitely and i would imagine that you know depending on what music the musicians were playing back then maybe some of the doctors even had some emotional connection to what was going on and they were realizing how you know just really how powerful it is because music can it definitely transcends words and can can really just have a very a very validating and um, very intense connection with people, and so I think that absolutely speaks volumes about that. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to overdetermine or anything, but I would assume the the one significant benefit music therapy has, as you said, is the, the connection versus other forms, because there's always sort of this you know subject and observer relation that uh, a clinician will have with, with their patient. But mm -hmm. engaging in music, it's much more of a shared common ground to engage with. There, there isn't necessarily the weight of observation or scrutiny in, in the same way, right? Yes, yes. And when we are playing music, when we're making music with clients, we are very much equals. So it's not like, I mean, sometimes I will model what for Mike is to do, but when we are engaging together, I'm taking musical cues, not just from the music that they're making, but from maybe their facial expression or their body language. And it's really a, a give and take between the therapist and the client. They're both providing equal input in, or as equal of input as possible in the music making progress process so it's it's very equal well that's marvelous um s stepping outside the uh the sort of couching of music therapy as occupation into the idea the more universal idea of music as therapy mm -hmm. um how can perhaps people who aren't either clinicians themselves or i i mean i, I personally believe everybody should be engaged in some kind of therapy but Let's say they're not in the you know the official capacity of it. What sorts of lessons can just regular musicians, folks who maybe aren't musicians at all, uh, sort of take from what music therapy shows? I think I mean, really, I feel like most people, I feel like 
really most people in this world connect to music in some ways. I, I have come across a couple people in my life who have literally told me the sentence, I don't like music. And it always kind of takes me, or both times, has taken me off guard. Like, how, how can you not connect with this? In some way, you know, there is, you know, music from your youth when, you know, you're going through all this, this stuff in your life. And that's often what people connect to the most. Like, so I really feel like most people in this world already have some sort of emotional connection to music. And really some ways that they can, that really they can use it. And so sometimes a lot of those ways of being able to kind of implement self-music therapy, um, it's really not music therapy because it has to be within a credentialed relationship with a, a therapeutic relationship, but um, really just, it's, I feel like finding those songs that really speak to your heart, sound cliche or corny, um, finding those songs that really speak to you and, you know, and being able to listen to them, that can just be so therapeutic for people and I feel like that is a really good way for non-musicians to be able to engage. And then for, let's see, and also another simple technique that we use in music therapy is called lyric analysis, which is exactly what it sounds like, where you analyze the lyrics of a song and you can use those lyrics either to, to maybe investigate what the potential narrator or a singer is going through, or you can draw some Devin, we gotta hide our lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Throw them to me, I'll psychoanalyze. No, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm worth I'm worth like ten case loads. You don't you don't need me. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so but that can be a very a very applicable technique for people of all backgrounds, musical backgrounds, non-musical backgrounds, to be able to connect with music in that way and to be able to kind of help heal themselves. Beautiful. So like any any other field, I mean, it's, it's almost passe to ask at this point, but has COVID presented any alterations or changes to your normal routine? <laughs> I laugh. Of course not. Why would you ask that? <laughs> Business as usual. Oh, yes. I, I was doing teletherapy before COVID. <laughs> so it, there's been numerous changes in, in, in music therapy as a result, uh, especially because so many particles and, you know, there's when you sing, there's so many particles that are released and that is exactly what you want to avoid in COVID. And it's really changed for in-person sessions. It's changed the structure of therapy room, which is actually a big part of what I do in person because especially I travel from site and you really have, you have to make sure that you're staying as far away as you can as possible from from your clients while still being able to maintain that therapeutic relationship which is very difficult at times. Um, so that's one way that it's changed it. Um, it also, it really affects the instruments that you can use. So I only am using oral motor instruments with my clients when it is absolutely necessary. So whereas I might have used it to be able to facilitate engagement with some with some clients that are especially motivated by that 
I'm really limiting that right now to only needing to work on your oral motor skills. And um, so in that, and so then in that case, you have to come up with different methods of sustaining engagement through the music. And so it affects it in that regard. And then it also really affects it on teletherapy because there's a lot of clients where, you know, previous to teletherapy, they were loving playing the drum sets, they were loving playing the full piano, you know, everything. But in their homes in or whatever environment, sometimes they'll do teletherapy at school and everything, they don't have access to that. And so you really have to be able to adapt what you're what you do in sessions to meet the client's goals and to sustain their engagement and their enthusiasm using these different methods and so it's it's called for a lot of creativity i i wonder in observing the because part of what's in that equation then is a question of access that uh you know people you would be working with and in terms of what they have whether it's things like an interconnect internet connection or a, a quiet home environment or you know this that or the other um do you think that's it's problematic beyond uh just just in how it creates literal distance it prevents the closeness and yeah it's through the internet so it's not as clear but also that people who already maybe don't have access to things are more acutely not having access to things in this state. Yes, definitely. So, and especially in, you know, and one of the biggest impacts I've seen of that is the ability to play music together online when there's an unsteady, in, or when there's an unsteady internet connection, you're losing so much of that real-time connection that you really need in order to have the most successful interactions. And there's, <laughs> definitely been um so there's there's definitely a difference when there is you know when that's going on and you know and some kids don't have access to internet so luckily you know none of my clients have been in that situation but i know other therapists and other and people in related fields that have had that with some of their clients and it, re it really makes a difference yes yeah, it's it's interesting how there's always the socioeconomic component, isn't there? Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, and this this pandemic has really highlighted a lot of that. You know, things that were not as obvious before. You know, the the disparities between different groups of people. You know, now it's like impossible to you know of like ignore. It's it's come really to the foreground. Now, yeah. for for people at home, is there anybody or is there any way that um, say someone who's watching this, say they have an extra instrument or something or a guitar that they're you know, not really using and that they'd maybe like to donate it. Is there any sort of um, contact that they could find that they could reach out to and be like, hey, I've got this. You know, if one of your students need this, like, you know, how do I get it to them? Is there a resource like that available right now? That is a great question. You can, I wouldn't say there's one universal resource, but what you can do is you can go on to the American Music Therapy Association website and you can find therapists by location. So if you type in your city and your state, you should come up with a list of therapists with some contact information and you can be able to contact therapists that way. And that helps you keep it local. 
Yeah, exactly. So I'd say that would probably be the best tool for being able to donate some instruments. What are some examples of instruments that um, would be especially useful? So, well, let's see. Well, let's, I've got some right here. <laughs> I mean, like for your students, like, you know, like what, what are some of like the things that they, they need at the moment? So I'd say some of the most useful instruments are a lot of uh, handheld percussion can be really great um, in terms and there's different, you know, diff and we use different instruments for different fine motor grasps and everything you can, but really just like, you know, tambourines, drums, shakers, rhythm sticks, those can be great for kids. So, and they could be great for adults too, but a lot of times, you know, I, I work with kids and so that's my main context. Um, ukulele can be another great instrument that is very easy to learn. And so that can really create a, self, a sense of self-empowerment with the client. Or like, for example, you only need one finger to play a C chord. That, and, you know, then you got, You've got a chord right there. And it's a very kid-sized instrument, too. It's not like trying to pick up something very unwieldy for them. Yes, exactly. So I try and use ukulele as much as possible, especially with the little ones. Um, and so that that's another great instrument. Then I'm trying to think here. Um, I mean, guitars are always great. Pianos are, you know, fantastic. There's so much you can do with both of them. So I'd say, you know, really sticking to um, like, you know, ukulele, drums, like the percussion instruments, um, guitar, piano, those are probably my go-tos. Nice. You know, another therapist might have other ideas too, but that those would be my go-to instruments. So we're, we're just about at time. Um, one last question I wanted to ask. Um, mm -hmm. And I'll give the, the last, last question to Shamil, um, how how do you find the the headspace to separate when when are when are countries in a, a time of trauma? I would say this is a very traumatic time. Yes. Um, and you're engaged with a process of healing with people who are very intensely mm -hmm. suffering. I mean, you, you can pretty it up. You can talk about you know. Thing, things to make it sting less, but it's it's really it's remarkable. Mm -hmm. um, how do you ma manage that? So that's a very good question. So in uh, let's see, I really when I'm working with a client, my brain is only right there. So it's I'm not thinking about a single other thing going on in this world. So just really hyper-focused and I feel like that is part of the training that we get as music therapists is how to really just be in the moment with your client and so honestly I feel like that helps me because when I'm in their sessions I'm not thinking about anything else that's going on I'm really just focused on what they need at that moment and um, and sometimes I mean not gonna lie sometimes even like you know, there's our code of ethics really adheres us to, you know, to maintain that, you know, we like we're the ones helping them maintain our, our professionalism. But, you know, sometimes you can't help but feel that human connection. And sometimes like 
if I'm really focused on a kid that, and they're really just engaged and so happy and really involved in the music making process, I can't help but just notice that that makes me feel better too. So like as much as I, I don't, I don't do it for that reason. It just is kind of a side effect that happens. So how can you not feel happy when you have kids that are just beaming and loving to play music and just, you know, it, it just brings such joy. So I feel like that is how I cope with it. But a music therapist who is working in a different setting would probably have a very different answer. So for example, a music therapist working in a correctional facility, like they might really have a difficult time being able to do that. And they would probably need to have a lot more purposeful self-care in order to resolve those issues. And so, and those methods of self-care would be entirely up to that person. But um, so I feel like as a music therapist in special education, I can kind of, I can kind of get that really that joy from some of my clients, even though that's not the purpose of our interactions. <laughs> uh, perks of the job. Ex- exactly, it's perks of the job. And so I, I feel like that for me and being able to really just be in the moment with the client is how I'm able to deal with that. Marvelous. Thank you. So the question I have for you, <clears throat> pardon me, is f- taking some of the skills that um, music therapists have um what can you what kind of advice could you give to musicians who feel like they really want to make their music um connect more genuinely with people um what advice could you give for them you know given your unique perspective that's a great question i'd say you know is it really just you know, take your time and delve into each song experience. Like if there is a situation or an emotion that lies behind you writing a song, really kind of take the time to do some self-exploration and go through in your mind what was going on, you know, what would, what would help you in that situation and really reflect that in the lyrics as well as in the chords and the melody and everything. And don't be afraid to just, you know, experiment and see what, you know, you know, throw some crazy chord progressions out there. You never know what could really stick and what can really resonate with you. So I'd say, don't be afraid to just really give yourself the permission to be creative. That's some great advice. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Caroline, that was a very, very interesting perspective you gave us today and keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And with that, this is the Eighth Note Sessions. I'm Mike Shamil. And I'm Devin Mullen. And our guest today was Caroline West. Thank you again, Caroline. Thank you. Here's an excerpt from Someone to Sing To by Mike Zogaria. You can find his music at MikeZogaria.com. That's Mike, Z-O-G-A-R-I-A.com. Another Friday night You got your hair just right But still you're back at home I paid a park the car And then I walked too far Surrounded and up
The Eighth Note Sessions are produced by Music is Art. Help keep programs like this going by donating today at musicisart.org. Thank you for listening.